Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. What's up, everybody? I'm Najee Adams. And I'm Hunter Jacobs. And you're listening to the Hoobon Nets Podcast. So we're back, back at it with this Nets coverage, and uh, we just want to say, before we get into things, shout out to uh, St. John's University, which we attend, for making the tournament, we believe, we believe, they haven't made it as of yet, as of right now, they're about to play, what, Marquette? Marquette in the Big East tournament, they're on the bubble, but it's looking good. So yeah, this will be the first time uh, since we've come to yeah, the school that, that they've, they've made, made the, the tournament. tournament. So it'll be fun just to have one, our home team in the tournament. But uh, yeah, on to the Nets. Uh, thank you guys for listening. Uh, make sure you guys go leave a review on iTunes. You can look up Brooklyn Nets, Hootball Nets. Either way we come up, leave a five-star rating and review. All reviews are getting read on the podcast. For example, we have a new review from Melquan7 who I believe has left a review before, definitely has. It's entitled Coach Atkinson. It's a four-star. It's actually a question. It says, I think the coach is overrated. He is great in developing the players. For example, Joe Harris, Spencer, Dinwiddie, etc. But as far as strategically, he gets outcoached a lot of times and his rotations are untimely panicky. Right now, this time of season isn't the same as the beginning or the middle. It's the fight for the playoffs time. And I don't know if Coach Atkinson isn't showing any offensive or defensive counter strategies at all. He seems a decent coach that can develop excellent, but not a coach that can take the team to the next level. What do you think? So for me, assuming the Nets are a playoff team this season, which we're going to get into later, the next level would be championship contention or like top two, top three seed in the east do I, I honestly think there's only two championship contending coaches in the entire nba okay so before he says this there are teams that their players are good enough for any coach to make the the finals or the conference finals and like our the opinion. warriors so no matter what their team is this coach can lead them to the playoffs that's the point. Yeah, so those two coaches, in my opinion, shouldn't be any surprise to anybody. Brad Stevens, even though the Celtics aren't having the best season, still Brad Stevens and Greg Popovich. I believe there's three tiers of coaches. The top tier, which just has those two. Tier two and then tier three. Tier two are people more like, like Mike Budenholzer, Mike Malone, Doc Rivers, Nate McMillan, Dwayne Casey, uh... People like that. That's about it. And then most other coaches are tier three. Like the David Fitzdales of the world. (laughs) Like the Luke Waltons. I honestly would put Atkinson somewhere in between tier two and tier three. I don't think he's completely in tier three, but I don't think he's good enough to be in tier two. He's a phenomenal players coach. Phenomenal at player development as seen by D'Lo Dinwiddie, Karis LeVert. Is he the best strategic coach? Not at all. Not in the slightest. 
he doesn't draw up the best inbounds play. Sometimes his rotations are a bit panicky, as I, you that, said. That is my least favorite part of him as a coach, his rotations. I've never been a fan of the Jared Dudley on the court. I've never been a fan of him benching D'Lo for the last nine minutes of the game. He has stopped that more as of late, but we might see him fall back to that now that the team is fully healthy. So we'll see. I mean, he can improve as a coach too. Coaches do improve as they gain experience. So as his players develop and the talent gets better, he might get better. So we'll see. Do I to answer your question, do I see Kenny Atkinson taking the team to the next level? There's absolutely no reason to fire him right now. So he was not gonna get fired this year, probably not next year, but if the Nets are in this wheel of mediocrity where they're just the sixth, seventh, or eighth, or maybe fifth, sixth, seventh, or eighth seed for the next four years, and let's say their team continues to get better and Kenny can't get them past the five seed, I can very much see them firing him and looking for coaches elsewhere. With that being said, I want to give a shout out to Hawaiian Isles Kona Coffee Company for sponsoring not only this podcast, but every other hoopball podcast. Make sure you guys go check them out on Twitter at High Kona Coffee, Kona with a K, or you can look them up on Amazon. Amazing coffee, perfect for any type of situation. And uh, yeah, make sure you go check them out. So on to the game recaps. We're very aware that we haven't re- we haven't recorded in a good long while, but like we said, this is midterm season for us. In school, and it's really hectic around March Madness time at St. John's, so, especially since we're about to make the tournament. So we honestly just haven't had the time. But we're here. We're back. We're dedicated. And we're going to cover the Nets' last four games against the Mavs, the Cavs, the Hawks, and the Pistons. Oh, no, the Nets' last five games. The Mavs, the Cavs, the Hawks, the Pistons, and the Thunder. They are 4-1 and one in that time. And, uh, yeah, we're going to start with the Mavs. So they blew out the Mavs uh, on Monday, March 4th, uh, 127 to 88. The most notable thing from this game was Joe Harris putting Luka Doncic on the ground with a hesitation move. The, the wait, one, yeah, that hezzy was crazy. And like, I love how when people get dropped, they try and play it off. <laughs> like, uh, but like, everyone knows when you get dropped, that it's it's a it's a traumatizing experience. Now, this was probably the Nets' best game of the season. They the way they played, Their they biggest, dominated the entire game. They had a forty-four point lead in the fourth quarter at one point. Like, that's absolutely insane. It was only tied three times. It was four lead changes. Those all came in the beginning of the game. And then the Nets basically just pulled away. They ended up shooting 56.5% from the field, 41.5% from the three-point line. And uh, the Mavs ended up shooting 35% from the field and 26.7% from the three-point line. Turnovers were tied 13-13. And uh, the Nets definitely out-rebounded them by 12, 48-36. On to the box score. I feel like with the Mavs, it's a pretty easy formula to stop them. Shut down Luka Doncic, you win the game. And this is completely unrelated. But uh, over the last month, Trey Young has been their rookie of the year. That's just my thought. We, I, I, we didn't talk about this specifically, but I remember you saying that a while ago. Would I agree? Uh, I would. Uh, the Hawks have been winning, and he's been averaging over twenty-five points. So, do I think he's going to win it? Not a chance. No, he's not going to win. Not a chance. He, he, he started have a single. He started chance. up too late, but I do believe that he can be the second best player in the class behind Doncic, or even the best if it comes to it. But yeah, I believe the the best three players in this class are going to be 
Donkage Young Aiden. And don't sleep on Mitchell Robinson. I actually think Mitchell Robinson is super nice. He's, I think he's going to be the best shot blocker in basketball. For I think a while. Jaron Jackson is super nice on the Grizzlies. He's good. Bagley's also good. Bagley's slept on. Aiton is good, but in if he doesn't work on his defense, he'll be stuck in a Jalil Okafor type of life. So he's going to have to learn some defensive fundamentals. True, true, true. But yes, back to the Mavericks game against the Nets. Uh, like I said, you shut down Luka, you basically win the game. Luka was 6 of 16 from the field. He only committed two turnovers, but he went 3 of 7 from the three-point line, 1 of 4 from the free-throw line. He's been struggling with free-throws lately. Uh, the other night, he went 1 for 9 from the three-point uh, from the free-throw line, which isn't which is out of the ordinary for him. But, hey, usually rookies hit a rookie wall sometime past the all-star break, so this is probably just his. Uh, he finished with 16 points, 5, no, 6 rebounds and one assist two blocks and a steal Jalen Brunson the former Villanova guard definitely has come on as of late he finished this game with 10 points on four or five shooting three rebounds one assist 19 minutes four or five from the field Dwight Powell he's also been eating lately 20 points in 32 minutes. He added six rebounds and six assists. And then that's really it. Tim Hardaway Jr., as much as he tries, he's he's not that good. He went three of 11 from the field. He's much more, when he gets hot, he's good. If he's not on fire, he's pretty useless. Great sign in this game is Devin Harris didn't light them up again. That's very true. Or Courtney Lee. But, uh, uh, and Dirk, as sad as it is, he's just out of his prime. Two of 13 from the field. This is his last season. He's just trying to go out. Regular and then uh, Joe Harris for the Nets. He dropped off Luca, scored 11 points, 5 of 7 from the field, doing Joe Harris things, old reliable. He didn't put up a ton of points, but he's very efficient in the shots that he did take. Rodion's Karuks, 24 minutes, 19 points, 7 of 12 from the field, 6 rebounds, 1 assist, started at the 4, which we're going to get into later. And the bench really carried this game. The combo of Dinwiddie, Lavert, Carroll off the bench had a combined 56 points. So yeah, between the three of them. The Nets honestly have one of the best benches in the NBA when it comes to on-court production and off-court production. They're definitely the most energetic, lively group on the bench of any NBA team. If you far. saw the dance they had on the bench the other yeah, night after a, a simple Dinwiddie They have jumper. a ton of dancing. They have like the 6-9, like yeah, that dance. That's they, the dance I was yeah, they, about that, the other day. That's amazing. And they do it every time by without flaw. So, yeah, like we said, the Knights have an amazing bench. Jared Allen, 8 points, 4 or 5 from the field, 4 rebounds, started at center, only played 20 minutes. And then... Alan Crabb didn't play so well. Eight points, three of seven from the field. And D'Lo, he's been in a big, big, big slump lately. Um, he's only shooting like 36% from the field over their last five games. This game, he was 6 of 13 from the field with 13 points in only 21 minutes. One of six from the three-point line. He did add 11 assists and only had two turnovers, so that's good to see. And then uh, on the bench, like Hunter said, Dinwiddie, Carroll, and Lever all eight. Um, Dinwiddie had 20, Dinwiddie had 16 points on 6 of 8 shooting, Carroll had 22 points of 7 of 9 shooting, and Casper had 18 on 5 of 11 with 5 rebounds and 5 assists. This was one of Levert's best games since coming back. Easily. And, uh, after this game, Kenny Atkinson was, was asked about Levert staying on the bench, and he actually said that he wants to pair up D'Lo and Crab and pair up Dinwiddie and Levert. So it seems like the long-term thing is going to be Dinwiddie, Lavert, Carroll off the bench. 
which might actually work out better, but that kind of leaves D'Lo with the worst of the group. It makes sense because if D'Lo is your best player, he's supposed to make other players better. He's more of a playmaker than Dinwiddie or Levert, so you it's be better to surround him with people that can shoot the ball pretty efficiently, and everyone in the starting lineup can, So ex- with the exception of Jared Allen, of course. But him and Jared Allen have great chemistry in the pick-and-roll game, so it makes sense to leave D'Lo out there with the starters and have uh, Levert, Dinwiddie, and Carroll come off the bench to provide some firepower. On to the game versus the Cavs. This was a close one, but the Nets managed to pull this one out, 113-107. It was by no means a blowout like the uh, Mavericks game we just talked about. The Nets did shoot 47% from the field, though, while shooting 36.4% from the three-point line. They held the Cavs to 40.2% shooting and 42.1% shooting from the three-point line. They won the turnover battle and won the rebound battle, 50-47. And, uh, yeah, on to the box score. Start with Cleveland. Uh, yeah, Kevin Love, 24 points, 5 of 11 from the field. He went 10 of 11 from the free throw line, added 16 rebounds, 4 assists. Larry Nance Jr., 32 minutes, 16, oh, 16 nothing, 17 <laughs> points, 6 of 10 from the field, 10 rebounds, 3 assists, 4 steals from Larry Nance Jr. And then uh, the rest, the only... It's, it's funny because Larry Nance, Kevin Love, and, and Sexton is not a bad core of players. It's just that they don't have a lot around them. Other than Jordan Clarkson, who's their leading scorer on this season. <laughs> exactly. And then Colin Sexton added 12 points on 4 of 13 from the field. Had 5 assists, 3 turnovers. David Inwaba. The star of this game. 22 points on 9 at 13 shooting. That's really it, though. Yeah, he, he was really only else. in the game for scoring. Didn't do much else. And then that's really it on the Cleveland Cavaliers side of things. On to our Nets. Another crazy game from Spencer Dinwiddie. Him and D'Angelo combined for... 53 points. There we go, 53 points. On 19 of 41 shooting. This was one of D'Lo's better games in his last five, but he still only went 9 of 20. And he also had five turnovers. So there's that. Uh, Dinwiddie, 30 minutes, 28 points, 10 of 21 from the field. Four rebounds, five assists. One turnover and three triples. Yes. Uh, Karis LeVert, 20 minutes, 14 points, 5 of 12 from the field off the bench once again. Let's not forget Ed Davis with his 12 rebounds, two of them being offensive. And then... Um, and the buddy for D'Lo, Alan Crabb, had a whole four points on two of six shooting. Missed all three of his threes. Uh, Rodion's crook started at the power forward again this game. 28 minutes, 10 points on 4 of 7 shooting, 7 rebounds, and 1 assist. And lastly, D'Lo, 32 minutes, tied for a team high with Joe Harris. He had 25 points on 9 of 20 from the field. He knocked down 4 of 8 triples and then had 4 rebounds, 5 assists, and 5 turnovers, but added 3 steals in the process. He's got to get the turnovers down, but overall, the Nets won, so we can't be too mad about it. On to their game versus the Atlanta Hawks. Another close one. Only won by two points. Uh, it, it, it was neck and neck down the wire. And, uh, yeah, the the stats were pretty identical. Nets shot 34.1% from the three-point line. The Hawks shot 37.1% from the field and 19.5% from the three-point line. Had the Hawks knocked down more threes, they went 8 of 41. I feel like they would have won the game. The Nets took 54 free throws. (laughs) Yes, the Nets took 54 free throws, which is absolutely insane. We'll start with the Nets. So And to make it worse, they only made 33, which is 61%. So Jared Allen took 16 Alan Crabb took seven, D'Lo took five, Dinwiddie took eight, Ed Davis took six. It, it was they took a lot of free throws this game. 
And uh, Rodion's Karuk started yet again. 20 minutes, had 16 points on 5 of 7 shooting with 6 rebounds. Great game from him, Jared Allen. He had 20 and 12. Two assists and a block on 5 of 6 shooting. Allen Crabb didn't play too well. He was only 1 of 7 from 3, 2 of 11 from the field. But he went 5 of 7 from the free throw line. And then D'Lo, back to his bad shooting way. 6 of 23 D-Lo from the special. field. D'Lo special. Yeah. 31 minutes, 6 of 23 from the field, 3 of 12 from the three-point line. Only had 18 points and 6 assists. Karis LaVert also had a D-Lo special. <laughs> yeah. Two, Two points, points on one of six, six shooting, five rebounds, and then Spencer Dinwiddie. It was his ugliest game since being paired with Dinwiddie. And then Spencer Dinwiddie rounded things out with 23 points on seven to 14 shooting, knocked down four threes, six rebounds, seven assists. Great game from Dinwiddie. On to the Hawks. John Collins and Trey Young is really all you have to worry about with them. And uh, the Nets had to worry about them. Yeah. So combined, they had 56 points. And uh, John Collins had 33 on 13 of 20. He had 19 rebounds. He has been killing this season. He's a a monster. If their team becomes good, he's absolutely insane. He's going to be an all-star. He He just doesn't get recognition because of the team that that he's on right now. And then Trey Young scored 23 points. He had a triple double. Yeah, he had 23, 11, and 12. 10 and 11. Yeah, oh, yeah. (laughs) I don't know where I got 12 from. 23, 10, and 11. He went 4 of 14 from the field, 2 of 4 from the three-point line. And 13 of 16 from the line. Shout out to Vince Carter, former net. I Didn't know. he take the game winner? Yes, and he, he bricked missed. it. He missed. <laughs> yeah, he, t- <laughs> he took the game winner. What a shame. <laughs> Poor old Vince took the game winner. He played 25 minutes, 10 points, 4 of 13 from the field, 2 rebounds. Almost won the game for the Hawks, but unfortunately he did miss. On to their game versus the Pistons. They blew them out, 103-75. to They had a 31-point lead at one point, and things got out of hand late in this game. They basically locked the Pistons up, held them to 27.8% from the field and 23.5% from the three-point line, while the Nets shot basically 49% from the field and 35% from the three-point line. Things got crazy quick. Uh, so, Blake Griffin played absolutely terrible in this game. So did Luke Kennard, Langston Galloway, Drummond, Ellington, Ellington, Reggie Jackson. No one on the Pistons. Literally every single player on the team. There's not one person who you could say had a good game. The the person that had the best field goal percentage was Bruce Brown. And he was 2 of 4 from the field. Other than that, it was... Glenn, Glenn Robinson, Robinson and then Reggie Jackson's three for eight for six points. Yeah, so Blake Griffin went one of ten. He shot ten percent from the field, had four turnovers, seven rebounds, six assists, and not a good game from him. Andre Drummond had thirteen and twenty. He had nine offensive rebounds, which is absolutely insane, but in the end it didn't really mean much. We're gonna get on from that garbage onto the Nets. Jared Allen. The Nets didn't really play that well either. They just played better than the Pistons. So, um, Jared Allen, 11 points, 5 of 6 shooting. Rodion's Crooks, 13, 6 of 8 shooting. Allen Crabb had 14 and 10. D'Lo, 5 of 13. Another D'Lo special in 24 minutes, 11 points, uh, 7 assists, and 4 turnovers. Spencer Dinwiddie had a team-high 19 points on 5 of 11 shooting. 7 of 7 from the free throw line. Added 9 rebounds and... Oh, no, added two rebounds. Ed, Ed Davis, Davis had the nine, nine rebounds. rebounds. And then Karras, 6 of 13, another D-low special well, for him uh, as well. So, 
in all the games we've covered, out of the four thus far, three of them, the Dinwiddie-Levert pairing has outscored the Crab-Delo pairing. So, clearly the bench is carrying a lot of the scoring load. And I did tell Najee that I believe that Delo's days of carrying for the rest of this season will be over now that the team is fully healthy. Not saying that he'll be bad, but I don't believe that he'll be scoring 39 points and taking as many shots as he was before. I think it's going to be a more balanced attack with everyone healthy and playing now. I don't think his run of dominance is over because when you look at it, he still takes like 18 shots, 20 shots. He just can't knock them down. So if he was hitting 50% of his shots, he'd still be scoring 20 to 25 points per game. Yes, but Dinwiddie is scoring 20 to 25 points <laughs> yeah, He's just points more efficient right now. Delo's just in a slump. Just give him a couple games. But I don't think he'll be carrying. I don't think it's going to be a clear give him the ball game over anymore. Yeah, it shouldn't be like that because the Nets are a young team and a lot of people need to develop, but but I think it's very well clear. I think it's very well known that Delo's their best player. And I do yeah, think... Yeah, he is still their best player. But I don't think he's going to have to carry anymore. Really. I think more teams are locking on to, let's stop D'Lo and worry, let the rest of the Nets do whatever they want to do. Which they haven't quite adjusted to yet. I mean, they're 4-1 in their last couple games. But the loss against the Thunder was basically a complete and utter meltdown. So let's get on to that game now. Their only lost game, the only game they lost out of the ones we're going to talk about, the last game we're going to speak about, the Thunder beat the Nets 108-96. And, uh, it, it, the Nets dominated the first half, the Thunder dominated the second half. Yeah, like That's I said, it was a meltdown. They lost the turnover battle. They allowed the Thunder to shoot 42.7% from the field. The shooting was very similar all around. It was just a meltdown at the end. They got out-rebounded. They lost a turnover battle. And they basically just couldn't guard any of OKC stars. So, Russell Westbrook, 35 minutes, 31 points on 12 of 23 shooting. He had another triple-double, 31, 12, and 11 with only five turnovers. And Paul George had 25 on 9 of 18 shooting. And this was really Paul George's break. He was in a slump for a while. He was shooting like... 25% 25% from the field, but he broke out in this game, 9 of 18 from the field, 9 rebounds, 3 assists, 2 steals, 2 blocks, 25 points, and they basically just had no answer for their stars, which kind of sucks for the Nets because that's something that they've been overcoming all season. Well, um, the Thunder, I pegged them as the second best team in the West, that's my opinion. Their defense is on another level, they are the best defensive team in the NBA as far as I'm concerned. They, if they had Roberson back for sure, they'd be the best defensive team in the NBA because right now they have Terrence Ferguson at the two, and we know Roberson is a lockup guard. But their offense is also not too bad, so they can give a lot of teams a run for their money if Westbrook starts to play efficiently and unselfishly when it comes playoff time. I agree. I think the Thunder are definitely better than the Rockets. The only team better than them in the West is probably the Warriors. And it's basically the Warriors versus whoever wants to make it to the Western Conference Finals in their place. So, um, the D'Lo, the D'Lo uh, had 14 points on 6 of 18 shooting. He had oh, another, another D'Lo one. special. He's had Four rebounds, seven Levert assists. Levert had another one, too. Yeah, they're both not playing too well. Spencer Dinwiddie was carrying, but he didn't have he didn't have much help. He had twenty-seven. He had twenty-five points in twenty-seven minutes on eight of seventeen shooting, seven of ten from the free throw line with 
five rebounds and two assists, and only two other players scored in double digits. Okay, so put it this way. There were nine players who scored, and six of them had between six and eight points. So, with that being said, yeah, Spencer Dinwiddie got absolutely no help, especially not in the second half, and the Thunder just kind of pulled away with this one. So, with all the games wrapped up, and D'Lo being in this slump, which he couldn't have hit at a worse time, we're going to talk about why later, we wanted to talk about what he's worth this offseason. So, if you if you think about it right now, D'Lo is averaging 20.2 points, 6.8 assists, and 3.6 rebounds on 43% shooting at 36% shooting from the three-point line. So that's he's only 22 years old. He's only 23 years old. So that that uh, it's a great stats for a 23-year-old player who still has so much more room to grow. So if you think about it, last offseason, Devin Booker, one of D'Angelo Russell's very close friends, he signed a five-year, $158 million max last July. So Let's say D'Lo's slightly worse than Devin Booker. He means a ton to the Nets. So let's say that makes up the, the lack of skill that D'Lo has compared to Booker. And honestly, I think D'Angelo Russell is better than Devin Booker. But a lot of people don't view it that way. So the Nets can offer him. The max the Nets can give him is the same exact thing. Five years, $158 million. The max another team can give him is five years, $117 million. Do I think that the Nets are, are going to match it. No, the, the max another team given is four years, $117 million, my bad. I think that the Nets are going to have to match it because there are so many teams that have a ton of cap space this offseason and need a point guard. Well, see, the the Nets have to really hope for one thing to happen. They need to hope that the Suns fall into Terry Rozier before they do D'Lo. Because if it becomes possible that the Celtics don't match more than the possibility that the Nets don't match, you could see the Suns, who've already been linked to Terry Rozier, go after him. Wind up paying him $15-plus million based off of his potential that we've seen in the playoffs. So, uh, a Western Conference executive said that D'Lo is going to get close to the max. Probably the Suns executive. <laughs> and an Eastern Conference um, executive said that he's worth around $20 million annually. Now, I honestly think the Nets should just... Because, let's say they... A lot of people are saying the Nets are going to get Kyrie and then have to ditch D'Lo. It doesn't look like Kyrie's leaving right now. He's very flip-flop with his opinions on whether or not he's staying or I going. I do think Kyrie is going to stay with Yeah, the I honestly think he's going to stay. Too. But if you asked me two weeks ago, I'd say he was going to go to the Knicks. So I honestly can't give you a, a completely rock-solid answer, but as of right now, I think he stays. So, and if you think about it, D'Angelo is, here's, there's a list of, uh, like, he's very historically good for his age. So here's a list of players that have averaged 20 points, 6 assists, and 2 three-pointers per game before the age of 25. Steph Harden, Baron Davis, Gilbert Arenas, Damian Lillard, Devin Booker, and D'Angelo Russell. All of those guys are max guys, and Baron and Gilbert Arenas were considered top-tier guards in when they were playing. Clearly good company to be in. Not one person on that list is bad. The worst player there is probably Baron Davis, other than Booker or Russell. Exactly. And then uh, there's only seven players 
to average 20 points and five assists with two threes per game who are under 28 in the league today. Kyrie, Beal, Kemba, Luka, Lillard, Booker, and Russell. Now, Kyrie, Beal, Kemba, Lillard, and Booker all signed big contracts. And you can, I would bet money that Luka's going to get a big, big, big contract when his time comes. So with that being said, I honestly believe D'Angelo Russell is very worthy of the five-year, $158 million max that Devin Booker got. That's how much I think he's worth. That's just my opinion. I know a ton of people think he's worse than Devin Booker, blah, blah, blah. I think Delo's the better all-around player. Devin Booker's the better scorer. Everyone brings up, oh, he scored 70 points. Okay, cool. The Celtics are basically giving that man the ball and letting him get the rock every single time and get buckets. But with that being said, I think Delo's worth the complete five-year, $158 million max. Do I think he's going to get it? I don't know. I feel like, if anything, he's definitely going to get the four-year 117 because you have to remember, the Nets have a history of really messing with a whole bunch of teams' salary caps because they offered Alan Crabb an insane contract, which at the time, the Trailblazers matched. They offered Otto Porter an insane contract, which at the time, the Wizards matched. And they offered Tyler Johnson an insane contract, which at the time, the Heat matched. Yes, and... Do they match D'Lo? Probably. They have to. Probably. I mean, let's say the Suns give D'Lo a max and they don't match. Their next best option is probably Terry Rozier. Because they're not going to get Kyrie as much as the the hope is nice. They're not going to get Kyrie. So then the, the hope shifts to Terry Rozier. Who I believe is a very good point guard. Do I think he's D'Angelo Russell? No. But his defense is good. When he starts, he wins games. He wouldn't ruin the team if they get Terry Rozier. He'd keep them at a steady low-end playoff spot. They'd obviously need someone else to make them over the top. But let's say they can't keep D'Lo or they don't want to match the max. I think Terry Rozier is probably their next best option. With that being said, we want to talk about... Our thoughts on Rodion's Karooks playing the four, or Kenny Atkins starting him at the four. So, the four for the Nets has been a very controversial topic, and people have gone in and out of the lineup at the four for the entire season. And it looks like Kenny Atkinson has finally said that he's just going to leave Rodion's Karooks there. It's been Trevion Graham, it's been Damari Carroll, Rondi, Alice Jefferson, all of them. And it seems Rody has done the best. He's a stre- I guess you can consider him a stretch four if you're going to say that. He's obviously not a four by his pure position. Yeah, he's not a dead-eye shooter either. He's just reliable. I, I could see him being like a lock-up defensive player once he gets more experience. And he, he has those tools. He only is averaging five rebounds per game, which is the most on the Nets besides over Ed the Davis over the two weeks over the past two weeks besides Ed Davis his 5.1 rebounds are the most on the nets outside of Jared Allen and Ed Davis but someone like Miles Tur- Miles Turner and Al Horford are only averaging eight rebounds per game so he's not that far off so I don't think it's going to be that much of a of a problem for him to stay at the four for the remainder of the season the season no I do believe he'll have to bulk up if he remains a four right now he's he has a similar body structure that people complain about Brandon Ingram when he was being placed there. On to the Nets' upcoming schedule. 
I honestly say that they won this four and one. The four game win streak they just came off came at the perfect time. It's exactly what they needed because the rest of their schedule is insane. And D'Lo has picked the exact worst time to go into a shooting. Club. Okay, so bottom line, the Nets, if they make the playoffs, are probably going to wind up as the seven or eight seed. It seems unrealistic right now to believe they'll stay at the six seed, even though that's where they are now. Because they have by far the hardest schedule in the NBA. So Not we, even close. We, it, it will be lucky if they even make the playoffs at this point. We talked about this on the last pod, but we can't stress it enough. So let's just a couple of their remaining games. The Jazz, the Blazers, the Sixers, the Celtics, the Bucks, the Raptors, the Bucks, the Pacers. Those were all consecutive, the teams in the East, by the way. It, exactly. And the Nets are the sixth seed right now, sitting at 36 and 34. Their main hope is that the Raptors are locked into the two seed, can't get one, can't drop to three, so that they don't play Kawhi. Or that they hope the Bucks rest Giannis. And that the Bucks have one, so then they rest somebody for load management. And that the Pacers clinch the five seed and... Who are, are they resting? <laughs> they they don't have anyone Turner, to rest. I guess, but... Their hope is that they run into these teams after they've clinched already or things have been settled. Although the 3-5 to five in the East, it looks like it's going to be very up and down. So we'll see. So the Nets are only half a game ahead of the Pistons for the 7th seed and two and a half games ahead of the Heat for the 8th seed. Now, according to Tankathon.com, the Nets have the toughest remaining schedule of all 30 teams in the league. They have 12 games left. They played the Bucks twice, the Raptors, the Sixers. We just went over this. And the only two easy opponents they have are the Lakers, who have LeBron James. And the Heat, who are in the playoffs in the East. Exactly. Which And so the, the Pistons schedule, they're 13th. So they have a decently hard schedule, but they do play the Knicks, Suns, Cavs, Grizzlies, Hornets, and Magic. The Heat have the 7th hardest schedule, but they do play the Knicks, Mavericks, Wizards, Hornets, Timberwolves and Magic, so it, it's they've got some winnable games. While on the Nets, unless they pull out a win, which I do think they're not going to lose every game they're supposed to lose, but they have to win the games they're supposed to win, which which is something that isn't as easy as it sounds. I also believe watch out for the Wizards because they have the twenty eighth hardest schedule, and their team is not as bad as their record says. So they have the third easiest schedule for the remainder of the season. They play the Knicks, the Suns, the Bulls twice, the Grizzlies, and the Hornets. So I honestly wouldn't be surprised to see the Wizards squeak into the playoffs. They're only four games behind the Heat, basically, and they could very easily squeak into the eighth seed. So the Nets are really going to have to step it up down the stretch of the season if they want to clinch their playoff position. Finally, we want to hit the Brooklyn Brawler of the Week since there hasn't been one in a while. And we're going to go ahead and say that the Brooklyn Brawler of the Week is, drum roll please, obviously Spencer Dinwiddie. Definitely Spencer Dinwiddie. 25.8 minutes over the past seven games, 19.4 points, which is the most on the entire team. 1.9 triples, 2.9 rebounds, 4.1 assists, 46% shooting. Attempting 13.7 shots and only averaging 2.1 turnovers. He's also shooting 6.6 free throws per game and is probably the most, the, the Nets' most frequent foul line visitor. So it's Spencer Dinwiddie, his Brooklyn Brawl of the Week award. He's been their most reliable source of offense over the past two weeks, too. 
like someone you need to give the ball to and expect something to happen that's positive has been him. Although that does frequently happen with D'Lo, his struggles have made it harder to have faith. So yeah, I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. I promise. No, we promise. We're going to be more consistent. You won't have to wait another two weeks for another episode. Um, everyone pray for St. John's that we make the tournament because we'll be going crazy if they do. So I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. Make they're sure they're currently losing to Marquette, by the way. They're getting in the uh, Big East tournament. Yeah, they're losing by eight right now in the first half of six minutes left. Hope you guys enjoyed this episode. Make sure you leave a review on iTunes. Five star rating review, please, 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 is getting read on the podcast. Make sure you go follow us on Twitter at HoopBallNets. You can follow us individually if you want. I'm at Najee Adams underscore. If you don't know how to spell Najee, it's N A J E E Adams underscore. Hunter's at Hunter underscore JKR on Twitter. And uh, yeah, hope you guys enjoyed this episode. We'll see you all next time. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.